Welcome to the Cracked Pots podcast. I'm Pastor Rebecca. And I'm Pastor Chad. And this past weekend was the Call of Moses. Um, and the call to that, that God is making in order to free the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. And uh, the the focus of my sermon primarily was the whole, it's, <laughs> it's not so much about who Moses is. It's not about us per se. It's always about what God is doing through us. Um, which, which is kind of like the Bible. Yeah. Like Bible 101. What's the Bible about? It's about God. Yeah. And, and, and God's relationship right. with us. Right. Yep. And the, the, the point being that, that God is a God of relationship and that God is, is known through the relationships, you know, um, that that's how he identifies himself. He doesn't say, Hey, I'm the guy who sent the flood. Hey, <laughs> or, you know, something like that. He's like, no, I'm, I'm the one who made the promise to, to your, your forefathers, um, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's through that relationship that, that he wanted to be known um, and is known and continues then to be known for this great act of, of deliverance. And one of the things that has, you know, when, when you look at this story, first of all, is very humbling in terms of the amount of time it took for God to go, okay, I'm going to do this. The 400 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I, when you pointed that out, I wrestled with that a lot. Yeah. Because what does that mean? So it's a if, long time to suffer. Right. It's a long time to suffer. And you go, why, you know, why would God, on one, on one hand, yes, um, God, now, God, it, God intervened. On the other hand, it took a really long time. Why did it have to take that long? And I think, you know, we, I'm, so I shouldn't say we, I should use I seem, I am not a patient person. Um, I don't have 400 years to wait for obvious mm -hmm. reasons. Like you don't live to be 400, obvious reason. Um, but I wonder, you know, so like oppressed people, you know, they, they, they read this liberation. You know, we know that, you know, for the slaves that this, you know, this, this uh, theme of, of liberation was very apparent to them when they read scripture and they saw themselves as people to be liberated. Yes. And yet, why does it take so long? Yeah. Well, and, and I'll be honest, I'm not sure if they actually spent 400 years in slavery. They spent 430 years in Egypt altogether. So we know that, that there was, was enough time that passed that they had grown in such number that the the Egyptians decided that they needed to do something about this this population. Yeah. So you went from a um they were displaced for four hundred years. They were displaced for four hundred and thirty years and living down in Egypt and then eventually were slaves. So we don't know exactly how long the slavery itself lasted. Um, because we don't have a timetable in terms of when that pharaoh who did not know Joseph finally came to power and when when the enslavement happened. But the point being, you can probably guess it was for at least 100, if not more, years. Yeah. Um, which, again... Too long. Too long. Too long. Much too long. Um, and 
but it also is this this reminder of God is not a fan of slavery. Um, that this is not something that should be happening to people, and that's a very bad thing to happen. Uh, and I've I've talked briefly about this in other podcasts, but kind of the the notion that. God kind of took a look at what was going on with this whole Egyptian system of slavery um, and, and how the economy was completely built around it and, and everything like that. And he comes in and just basically smashes it. And, you know, why, why is Pharaoh so reluctant to let the slaves go? Because he understood the ramifications that was going to have economically on Egypt. And was like, yeah, no, I can't let my whole slave labor force go. Who's going to do that work? Fast forward to the United States, Civil War era. <laughs> well, exactly. The economic yeah. ramifications. Yeah, and that we're still, honestly, we're still dealing with. I was like, well, and, and not just that, but let's let's take it even to modern day, modern day, and this idea of economic ramifications. So why are so many jobs moved um, out of our country? Because they're cheaper. Because they can pay labor in other countries less money, therefore making the product cheaper, therefore making more profit. Yes. Yeah. Make the product cheaper, more people will buy it. So not and... slavery per se, but I mean, you know, if I can if I can take a product that I need to pay a worker, you know, fifteen bucks an hour in the United States, or I can pay them uh a dollar a day. Um, in Mexico or China. Well, and, and somebody it, said the bad part out loud not too long ago when they pointed out um, <laughs> that there is a certain agricultural industry that relies very heavily on exploiting illegal immigrants mm -hmm. and and recognizing that um, you know, with, you know, when you crack down on the illegal immigrants, that actually was a problem for certain agricultural right. industries that relied very heavily on the fact that they could get away with exploiting them and paying them nothing, essentially, um, yeah. because they knew they were illegal and weren't going to complain and no one was going to turn them in because, and, and so there's this whole, I mean... It's so complex when yeah. you talk about those kinds of issues. And when you talk about it, even in terms of looking at what happened in, in Egypt, is, well, what happened? You had a famine. And so what happened? Well, they came down, they migrated, because that's what happens um, when, when things like that happen. People migrate. Um, the, the entire book of Genesis is really about just sort of a mass migration of people moving from one area to another area, uh, needing, you know, uh, to survive. And yeah, the laws and, and stuff like that are different than they used to be. It wasn't illegal to, to go live elsewhere. Um, but, <laughs> but the, the response is still the same. What happens when the Egyptians feel threatened yeah. is well, we don't want these people, or if they're going to be here, we're going to make it so that they can't have the kind of power that would ever threaten us in any way, shape, or form in our way of life, et cetera, et cetera. And I think we still, we still 
wrestle with those issues of, well, what does it mean to have our culture changed by other people coming in? And our our dominant culture may no longer be a dom- the dominant culture in X amount of years. I guess I've never been, and I don't know why, maybe I need to wrestle with this personally. I've never been a person about culture. And, and maybe that's because I don't have strong ties to any nationality. Um, you know, my, my ancestral roots, I think, are kind of a little bit all over the place. Same here. Um, so I don't I'm have a, that. I'm a mutt. Yeah, I am too. Um, to the best of my knowledge. Yeah, my mother actually did a really, really good, um, she's been working on our family tree for a really long time, and we just discovered how, mut- <laughs> how much of a mutt this, this my family is from um, lots of like German, Swiss, um, yeah. Irish, and, and then we've got a little bit of, of Native American Sioux, um, Sioux Nation thrown into it. Uh, where I'm just kind of like, you know, there's there, I can't really claim a whole bunch. <laughs> yeah, or you can claim a whole bunch, but yeah, not, it's it's yeah. there's nothing I can point to and say, yes, that's my ancestry. Yeah, and I think I think my aunt did did that as well. I think, and I just didn't pay attention to it a whole lot um, because I, I guess I don't I don't identify necessarily in that. Now I I I really appreciate you know those who have who have that that. Uh, more direct ancestral roots and, and they celebrate those and have their traditions and, and their well, especially, culture. Especially if they're only like, um, second, say second generation as opposed to, right. Um, most of my family came over sometime in the 1800s. Right. Right. Um, so, so, so this idea of, of culture and culture being changed, I guess I, I guess I don't, I don't get caught up in that. I don't, I don't say that as something that's good or bad, just as I don't, I don't see it as a thing. You know, I, I don't have this this um, strong tie to you know hold on to American culture, and I'm not even sure what American culture means um, when when we when you hear that when you hear that phrase. I mean, so it used to be the saying, "What was it? Um, Chevrolet, apple pie, and baseball." Now, I don't I don't get into. Hey, I got the, my Chevy. I don't get into the whole Chevy, <laughs> Ford, whatever. That drama is, I'll eat me some apple pie and I'll sit down and watch some baseball, but you know, I I, I guess I don't I don't get caught up in that, and and maybe that's because, for me, um, America means migrant, you know, immigrants. You know, we're a nation born of immigrants, and some of that is you know a violent you know, the violent piece of immigrants coming over and taking over the land and all that, blah, 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 blah. I don't say blah, 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 blah as a, to be dismissive. To be dismissive of right. what, what happened but to I mean, Native all, Americans. Just because yes. I really don't want to get into that whole debate and then yeah. you know, emails blow up and everything else at this point over over this. Um, so I, I, I don't get caught up in this in this whole idea of preserving culture. But I do know that it is a powerful thing that you see... Um, turn ugly way too often. Yeah. Well, and it's not, I mean, we were kind of founded on the whole preservation of culture thing though. Um, the pilgrims, hmm. um, when the pilgrims were separated now, the, the pilgrims and the Puritans are a little different. Um, the pilgrims were, um, uh, separatists, whereas the Puritans were, ref- they wanted to reform the Anglican church. Right. But, um, there's about a, um, I think a 10 year, 
span between one came over and the other came over. But but the pilgrims were separatists and they went down initially to Holland, um, the Netherlands, to kind of escape the persecution um, of of the the church. And their fear was they were going to lose their English culture living in the Netherlands. So they came to the United States, which at that point in time was not the United States. It was, right. you know, just America or whatever. That the there West was this, Yeah. There Sorry, was this, this place where they could develop their own English culture. Yeah. And, and they, you know, and that was sort of what they did. Well, then the Puritans came over and things got swallowed up by, by the Puritans and et cetera, et cetera. And that's kind of where we started with more of the genocide, et cetera, um, going on. But <clears throat> so there's your little, little note of American history there. But it is getting back to kind of what's going on in Egypt at the time. And I'm looking at how God just really kind of he doesn't try to to sort of reform the system and be like, okay, let's work with the Egyptians on changing some things and how can the the you know how can we make life more equitable, et cetera, for for the Hebrew slaves? It's, it's just no, we're going to go in. I'm going to break the system and just pull my people out. And and the interesting part there being, and I think I've mentioned this before as well, but the interesting part being, he the land he gives them was Egyptian land because the Canaanites, the Jebusites, the, you know, all those people that gets, they get named, those were all vassal kings that had to, um, basically they, they were vassal states of the Egyptian empire. So technically it was still being run by Egypt. So what God does is he sends Israelites into the land of Canaan that's being run by all these these vassal Egyptian type of kings and kicks them all out and gives that land then to the Hebrews. And so <laughs> you might say it was God's way of kind of doing some sort of reparations of saying, I'm going to give you Egyptian land. I'm going to break their economic system. Um, and this is, this is how this is going to go. Now, the interesting thing is as well, part of why God did not want them worshiping other gods had to do again with guess what? What is everything about? Money. Yep. And power. Yep. Well, a lot of it's about I mean, money. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Money yeah. and power. Those but are the it it actually has to do with a lot of the 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 economic the economic issues that are are tied to the worship of of the idols and the gods. There's right. a whole lot of stuff that is that is tied up in the economy in terms of worshiping these other gods. Um in fact the uh the Israelites, when God sets up, you know, the, the, the Levite priests, he specifically tells them they get no land because what happened in places like Egypt was the priests held, were, were like, like held 80% of the land. They owned 80% of the land. So the religion really was 
a, a, a dominant factor in terms of not just um, who you worshipped, but it had a, they had a stranglehold on the power, et cetera, because obviously even Pharaoh was going to kowtow to the people who had 80, who owned 80% of the land. Right. And you're, you're going to kind of do what they want. It's a numbers game. Yeah. And so there was this, this whole notion um, that God's kind of coming in going, um, yeah, that's not how we're going to set things up. It's part of why he wasn't real thrilled about building a temple. Because again, temples were what pagans did. <laughs> yeah. And the temples were, were these economic centers and administrative centers for government and, and all other kinds of things that were, were being run. And he's kind of like, yeah, I don't want you to do that. That's also why he didn't want them to have a king. Now, if you remember right, you know, once they get into the promised land, it's supposed to be I, God is your king. And then they were kind of supposed to to sort of live in this way that was not um, ba basically paying, paying fealty to this one person. And he warned him. He said, <laughs> um, you know, if you have a king, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have to pay taxes. You're going to have to um, send your kids to war. Um, you're going to have your land confiscated and you know, all these things. I don't want that for you. That, that right. is not what I wanted. So, of course, now some people are going to go, see, God doesn't like taxes. The reason God didn't like taxes was because God knew what would happen with taxes. What happens with taxes is the poorest of the poor are the ones who get exploited. And the richer you are, the less of a burden it is to pay taxes. But when you're the, the poor and you're having to still pay taxes, you're having to give your last you know, yep. whatever you have, you're living paycheck to paycheck kind of thing. So that was kind of the, the whole notion of why God was not a real big fan of that kind of, of system. And it makes you wonder, makes me wonder how in the world you separate religion and politics. It's again, a good question. Again, not saying from the pulpit you support a candidate those types of things. Not okay. But. God was involved with, with politics and economies and, and things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because, you know, go figure, God in infinite wisdom knew the power of money, which is why money's talked about so often in scripture. Mm -hmm. And, how, how corrupting money and power overall can be. And if you look at, you know, some common themes in scripture, one is, you know, economics and the other is, you know, humble servants. Yeah. You know, Jesus as a humble servant. Um, just a different, well, the question just a different being, way of living. The question being, of course, why does slavery exist in the first place? Economics. Right. I mean, even if it's in indentured servitude um, rather than chattel slavery, it, it it all boils down to an exchange in terms of of economics and money and and what something's worth, and it, it and there there are healthy ways to do that, and there are not so healthy ways to do that, and we tend to always seem to um, gravitate as humans 
towards the unhealthy way of, of doing such things because things like greed, um, get in the way once, you know, people start getting something, they want more of it. And, and then you're willing to exploit others to get what you, you want and you need, um, or think you need, um, to, to continue. And it, I, I, you know, it's been just in the past, probably really few years that I have really um, come to understand just how deeply God gets into those issues. Um, and, and I think the Exodus being one of those huge examples of it that we don't normally think about that way. When we hear about it preached and, and taught and whatever, it's just simply this 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 liberation and to recognize as well what God is doing is so huge. And I mean, part of this, you know, with the Passover and everything like that, when it finally comes about, um, the unleavened bread is supposed to be about how quickly God's deliverance comes. So they've been down here in Egypt for 430 years, um, sort of waiting, waiting, waiting. Well, when it finally happens, it's, you got no time. <laughs> right. It's this like, is, okay, I'm here. We're going. It's now. <laughs> yeah. There's some irony in that. Yeah. Um, it's the uh, hurry up and wait. Yep. Or wait and hurry up. Wait and hurry up. Wait so and so the opposite. Wait and hurry up. You know, be patient with God. And then God's like, all right, come on, let's go now. Like, come on, yep. let's go. Yep. We're leaving. Yeah. It, it's that. That whole you're sitting around waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and all of a sudden, um, you know, your, your parents rush into the room and go, okay, let's go. We're going now. And you're like, well, but I'm not ready. Yeah. And it's like, well, you've been waiting for how long? Come on, let's go. That's literally <laughs> me every time we're going somewhere. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I told you we were leaving. So last night, I told you we're leaving at, leaving at four o'clock. So at 3.55, I'm like, all right, are you guys ready? Yep. No. <laughs> I'm like... Seriously, like I gave you 24 hours notice of what time we were leaving. I gave you an hour's notice and, and a half hour reminder. And well, segue to the New Testament before let's go, people. Yeah, segue to the New Testament when Jesus says things like keep awake, right? You know, and be ready. And you know, how complacent are we? And, and like, well, okay, blah blah blah. He says, well, I'm telling you, when, when the day comes, it's going to be, boom. It's going to be it's like, come. yeah, because God, when he delivers, right. it's boom. It's so God isn't like pizza delivery where you make the call and in 30 minutes, boom. Yeah. God doesn't work that way. No. God's more like, I don't even know. God's more like God. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if there's another example that we can give that says, just be super, super patient. And then one day... Poof. Right. Maybe it's like a crop. Like you plant the seed and it's a slow growing crop. Like you plant it and you don't see anything. You don't see anything. And then God's actually working underground, building the roots. And then eventually you see the sprout and then it grows and then it grows and then it grows and then it becomes whatever it becomes. Yeah. And something I only briefly touched on in my sermon, I just kind of went, huh, did you notice that? <laughs> and then moved on, was the, I guess, irony of the fact that Moses is marrying into the descendants of Ishmael, the Midianites. Mm -hmm. 
And the reason, and somebody asked me, they're like, how do you know that? How do you know that's who the Midianites are? And I'm like, well, that's because when Joseph gets sold into slavery, we're told that the Midianites, also known as the Ishmaelites, are the ones who um, sell him into, or, or that his brothers sell him to. So they're the, they're the slave traders. And the, the, the irony being, of course, Ishmael is a product of slavery. His mother, Hagar, was an Egyptian slave to Abraham and Sarah. And so that, that sort of reversal of the, those who had been slaves now become the taskmasters. Again, not a clean... Not a clean, linear um, story, way more like your daytime soap opera, which I think we talked about last week. Yes. Um, you know, this is, you know, some of this stuff literally you can't make up. Like it, like it's, oh man, like if you see it in the movie, that's crazy. It's scripture. Yeah. It's scripture. It's not, it's not linear. It doesn't, it doesn't go in a, in a, in a linear fashion ever. Well, and, and I think that's one of the things that challenges us. You know, we have we have our expectation of of how how life should be, how things should go, and how stories how, should work. How stories should work and want God to fit that narrative. And we try really really hard to make God fit whatever comfy narrative we have that makes us feel better. And God doesn't fit in that box. You know, one of my favorite pictures, it's it's like a little cartoon and it shows who's supposed to be Jesus at a Christmas tree, and he has this box, and he and he has a model church, like a model church building, and he's trying to fit the the church into the box. And the caption is something like, "You know, the church was never meant to fit in a box," um, something like that. But it's it's one of my favorite little cartoons because it kind of depicts what you know we desperately want to put church and want to put scripture and want to put God in in a box that makes us comfortable, and more often than not, God, you know, one doesn't even do boxes and it's not comfortable for us. And it's not meant to be comfortable for us. It's meant to be challenging so, we, so that we can grow, so that we can bring other people into this, into this beauty that is, that is the faith, that is Christianity, hard, but yet beautiful. Um, but we, ha we have to be willing to put away our narrative. Moses didn't fit. I don't want to do this. It doesn't work. Can't do it. I stutter. Nobody listens to me. Blah, 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 blah. I got a million excuses. Just don't want to. But, and God's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. I hear you. Um, and maybe, maybe that doesn't fit the box that you think it does, but guess what? I'm going to use it. And there's all these examples in scripture of people that we would not put in the, in the, in the Jesus box or in the church box and go, well, they can't be the person for the church. And God and or Jesus is like, uh, actually, yeah, you can. Yeah. You can, and you're going to. Well, and Moses' excuse, I just want to read this to you. Yeah. Oh, my Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor even now that you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Does that sound like somebody who has a speech impediment? Yeah, I mean, I mean, <laughs> right. So it's I like, mean, granted, it's it's written and whatever, but I mean, this it, it it's this this it's very like well phrased. It's stuttering Moses. Yeah, I mean, that's how, that's how I picture. It. I picture it stuttering Moses, and you go, man, yeah, you know, how how am I ever going to do that? 
Um, who who was the who was the country singer? Um, well, but what I'm saying is he, in his own words, by trying to make his argument, he doesn't sound like he has a problem. Oh, I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't sound like he has a real problem. I gotcha. <laughs> it's like he gives this very eloquent, using even the word eloquent. Yes. Um, reason for why um, yeah. he's not a great speaker. Note to self, if you're going to try and convince someone you're dumb or not a great speaker, don't <laughs> use the word like eloquent. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe say like, I ain't no good at that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, another is like, yeah, no, I, do, I done, don't true. do the good good speaking. Yeah. You know, um, that would have been a little more, but no, it's this this very kind of flowery. That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I kind of chalked that up to just a really crappy English translation of the Hebrew. Um, but yeah, the way it comes through, it's certainly in, in the English translation is not as um, as dumb or uneloquent. I don't even know if that's a word. Ineloquent. Ineloquent. That's what I was looking for. As what <laughs> Moses wants it to be. But again, it's, it goes back to this, you know, why would you pick Noah the drunk to build the ark? Why would you pick you know, to be fair, Moses. Noah that we know of didn't get drunk till after. <laughs> and if you spent 40 days and 40 nights cooped up on an ark with a bunch of animals in your immediate family. I drank more during COVID. Not, <laughs> no, not, not to the drunk level. <laughs> but, but what I'm saying. But I did. I, yeah, I don't blame I, Noah. I, I really don't. I'm yeah. probably going to get in trouble for that. But yeah, um, I get it. I, I, I don't blame him. But, but I mean, there, there's this all, you know, and then you go to the New Testament and, you know, all the disciples and Paul, and they don't fit in the box. No. And I, yet God says, listen, this isn't about you. It's about me. Yeah. It's about me. And it's about what I'm doing and what I'm going to do through you. And something I kind of always have to remember, even like, say, with Moses, is, you know, we sit there and we go, oh, well, you know, everything worked great for Moses. And it's like, well. Got to remember, um, and and we're gonna talk more. I think we're doing the wilderness um, this coming weekend, um, but wilderness and manna. Yeah, and and with all their griping and their groaning and whatever, is there's eventually a coup. There's an attempted coup to overthrow Moses and Aaron and Miriam, right? Um, and to to basically um, throw them out of power, and that does not go well. Um, <laughs> but it's also a reminder, at least for me, it's a little bit of a reminder that, you know, just because you're in leadership doesn't mean everybody is happy and uh, with, with your, your style of leadership, your kind of leadership, what you're doing, et cetera, even in the midst of this, where God was very clear who he had chosen, there were people that were disgruntled and angry and not happy with it and still wanted to overthrow him and yeah. and toss him out. And God kind of went, yeah, no, that's not what's going to happen here. But it's humbling, I think, for me at least, to, to read stories like that when you're in a leadership position and remembering even Moses had people that tried it to, <laughs> to take him down. <laughs> um, and... You know, we consider Moses one of the greatest prophets um, of of the entire Bible, um, probably second only to to Jesus himself. Yeah. And yet, there were people didn't like him. Yeah, yeah. 
besides Pharaoh. <laughs> right. Pe- people in his own camp, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. People, you know, his I, own people who did not like him. There, there, there are parts of, of the Moses story that, you know, I don't want to say crack me up, but make you, you know, make me just you know, kind of go, you, I imagine Moses throwing up his hands, right? So, you know, he goes up, he gets the Ten Commandments, comes down, blah, 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 and then like, oh, let's build a calf. Like, wait a minute, did we just talk about this, people? Like, we just talked about this. And I still I, and I still will I, forever always love Aaron's response when Moses um, comes back down and, and he goes, Oh, well, well, the people, they 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 gave me all of this gold and, and I threw it in the fire and out pop, popped this calf. I just I don't know how that happened. Poof. <laughs> just poof. I don't know how that happened. Um, and that's, if you actually go read that, that's pretty much what it says. It's yeah. just, it's, it's this just completely, are you kidding me, Aaron? <laughs> are you, are you just like really trying to pass that off right now? Yeah, pretty much. Um, but also then there's all this interaction between God and Moses where God gets mad and God is like, I'm done with these people. You know, all they do is cry and complain and, and they want to even go back to slavery in Egypt. Yeah, we covered that this summer. Yeah, we and I'm guessing we'll probably cover it. I haven't really looked too much at the text for this next week, but um, Cheryl is actually going to be yep. be preaching. So um, she's going to take that story on of the manna and, and in the wilderness. Yeah, it, it, it cracks me. It cracks me up. You know, God pr- provides and God is leading them out of slavery. And people are like, well, yeah, but... But hey, we at least were fed. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was like we at least were fed. The power of food, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, when you're starving. Yeah, no, I get it. So so it's really interesting. And, and I mean, Esau gave up his whole birthright because he thought he was starving. Yeah. So, to, you know. to last week, last week I, I, I sort of posed the question to the congregation, you know, do you ever put yourself in the position of characters in, in scripture. Like when you're reading, when you're reading the text, do you put yourself, do you ever imagine yourself being a person in the text? Do you see yourself as a person in the text? And I think this text last week really lends itself to that well. Um, I wasn't like, when I wrote my sermon last weekend, I wasn't, you know, sort of foreshadowing for this weekend and Moses and Moses' story. But I, Moses' story really, I think, for for our people, um, provides that opportunity for some self reflection. And you look in the, you know, you look at Moses' story. You know, didn't think he was the person to do it. wasn't capable. Blah 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 blah. And how many times do we, um, as people of faith, well, I'm not the person to, I'm not the person, I'm not the right one to serve on council. I'm not the the right one to lead, X, to lead this yes. or take on this or you know be a small group leader or whatever. Yeah. And yet God provides, you know, if if we put if we're willing to put ourselves out there, God provides that for us. You know, God provides I still God fills in the gaps that we don't that we need filled in so yeah. that we can do the job. I mean, it's one of those things where Mo- Moses told God no. I yep. mean, he just flat out at the end said no. And yet Moses still did it. Like I said, I really don't know what happened in that whole and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. But Moses suddenly quit arguing. Right. <laughs> um, there were there were no more arguments. And suddenly the next thing we know, uh, Moses is on his way to to Egypt. 
um, with his, you know, wife and, and kid. Okay. Yep. <laughs> and he's like, all right, off we go. Um, yeah. Okay. This is what I guess I'm doing. Um, and, and like I said, I, I, I'm both maybe grateful. I don't know exactly what that looked like. <laughs> it is curious that that is omitted. Yeah. Just in any kind of detail and just sort of brush over because it seems like whatever so i mean moses spends several verses like trying to get out of it yeah well actually two two full chapters that's true that's true yeah, because we we missed the, all that's right, the, that's the, right. the turning into leprosy and all that kind of yeah, stuff and, yeah and so we skip um, over that. so moses spends all this time trying to you know wiggle out of it say no blah 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 and then it's like and the anger of god it's like okay well yeah. I, really you're not gonna what is that yeah, Why? I mean, it's just this sudden reversal of... And it's, not, and it's clearly not not wanting to paint God in a bad light, or you'd have omitted all the plagues yeah. and the flood that wiped out the earth and blah, 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 blah. So why in this case did we not get more on... Detail on... More detail on what this... Finally this, persuaded Moses to yeah. go because, you know, one minute he's going, no, send somebody else. It's not me. I'm not going to do it. Bye-bye. And maybe, maybe it's because then we today would have to would, would expect that whatever that thing was to happen to us in order for us to say yes and maybe that's why it's not there it's not in detail because we find our own excuses so we don't need the excuse of well i haven't seen the anger of god no not, not like moses did yeah well that's and, that's that's you know, fair. so so the other the other piece and i think Brittany said it in in the children's message um, and I think it was a, I think it was a, like a, a word slip. Um, God doesn't speak to us today in the same way. Mm. I think that's, I think that's where I heard it this weekend. And I don't know if that's entirely true. Um, you know, you talk, you talk to people. I, I think what she was going for was God isn't talking to people through burning bushes typically. Correct. I think that's true. Is what she was um, going for. Right. But it came out as. It, it, at least the way I heard it. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right in, in terms of burning bushes. I, I think the way I heard it or the way it could have been misinterpreted was that God doesn't speak to us today. Yeah. And I, I know that that's certainly not part of her theology nor ours. Um, but, but I wanted to clarify that. But I also think it, 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 it gets tricky because you have people who... Um, will say something to the effect of, I heard the voice of God, or I heard God speaking. And then it makes you question, it, it, it lends itself potentially to let others make others question if they don't feel that they've audibly heard the voice of God, so to speak. So I was at a, when I was on internship, we went to a concert, a Christian concert, and I want to say it was Carrie Job before Carrie Job was like really big, but I don't know that to be true. Um, and you know, she would sing a couple songs, and then she'd give some you know little testimony or a sermon. And one of the things I very vividly remember her saying was hearing the voice of God, which then on the way home with our youth group prompted a conversation. Well, what if I don't actually hear the voice of God? Does that mean? You know, God doesn't love me, or God isn't speaking to me, or God doesn't want to work through me, or whatever. Um, so I'm always I'm always sensitive to that language. One, because I think some people do hear the voice of God, but that's not the only way in which God 
speaks and God um, engages us in our, in our, in our lives. So I have thoughts on this. Um, (laughs) The, the voice of God, first of all, if you ever notice, you know, everybody's like, well, God's talking to everybody all the time in the Bible. It's like, oh, no, no, no. Um, we're getting little snippets of huge expanses of time. Yes. And do you ever notice God tends to, when he speaks to somebody, he does it alone. The person isn't around a whole bunch of other people when it happens. Right. It's a one-on-one kind of thing. And that lends itself to, so you've seen like the movie Ghost, you know, where it's like you have to prove to this, you know, you're talking to Sam, tell me, you know, how are you? Well, because this and, and whatever. And then, you know, finally, oh my gosh, because, you know, okay, they are right there, blah, blah, blah. That's not really how it works. Um, I, I would say from my, from my own experience, yes, I have heard what I have interpreted and understood to be the voice of God. Now, it was not in a burning bush. It was not a booming thunder or or, or whatever. It was, um, for me, it was more of just an overwhelming sense of, I would say, almost like being wrapped. And this is the way my some of my seminary friends described it as well. They had the same kind of experience being wrapped in a warm blanket. And it's almost like whatever the voice or the words or whatever, just are in, just, just pop into your head and you, you hear it, but not audibly hear it. Right. Um, and what I heard was, um, you're going to be okay. I have other things planned for you. Now get out of Los Angeles. And that was it. That was, that was what, yeah. And I, I kid you not next day I called my mom and I said, I'm coming home. And they were like, okay, I'll, I'll come out and help you. You know, I said, I'm coming home. I went in and told my boss, I said, I'm leaving. I said, I quit. I resigned. <laughs> um, and he was kind of like, why, why are you, you, did you get a new job, whatever? And I said, no, I said, I just, I need to leave Los Angeles and I need to go back to Nebraska. Um, I just, that's just, I know what I need to do. And he's like, well, what are you going to do for a living? I said, I have no idea. I said, but I'll figure something out. And he said, there's absolutely no reason for you to quit your job. He said, you, you, you do most of you, because you sit right outside my office and the way we communicate nine tenths of the time is through email. (laughs) Um, everything you do is electronic. Right. He goes, I'm going to send a computer with you and you're going to keep working for me from Nebraska. And I was like, well, that's sweet. Right. Um, yeah. And it, it was one of those things where I had absolutely no idea how this was going to work out. But I just said, I'm going to I'm going to follow what I was just told. Right. Um, and what I heard, because I just somehow knew that that was what I needed to do. And had absolutely no expectations that that was going to be what my boss said um, and was going to send me home to, to work work from home for the next three years, et cetera, et right. cetera. 
and then have and and then that would foster the next step of me getting very involved in my church, et cetera, et cetera. And then the whole, hey, you should maybe go to seminary, uh, right. blah 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 blah. And now I'm in Florida. Yeah. So. <laughs> so so I think for me it's interesting. So for me, I think that that Holy Spirit, that God talking thing, is usually a restlessness. Um. Sort of a sort of like a holy restlessness, like there's no reason for me not to be comfortable at this point. There's a restlessness moving me to something else. Mm-hmm. Um, Had that too. Yeah. I, I, so that, that's generally my experience a little more often, but, but regardless of what it is, you know, I, I think God very much wants to be in relationship and God very much wants to work through us and God very much communicates to us. And I think it's through lots of things. It's through scripture it's through song, it's through other people and other engagements, it's through opportunities, you know, being presented to us. Um, you know, I, I hope that it's that it's through preaching from time to time where, you know, you feel um, something catches you and you feel moved. Um, so we're, we, we all have a role to play that may or may not look something like Moses's. You know, I don't know that we need to lead an exodus or bring down the Ten Commandments or something monumental. Um, but there is something to going on a journey and going on a faith journey in which, you know, we're, we're sort of tuned in or tapped into, to God's presence in our lives. Um, that's, that's powerful and not just for our own growth and development, but for the growth and development of those around, because you know, the, the one thing, the one thing that, that I think we didn't really touch on in this in this text is if if all of Moses's excuses were true, right? Mm-hmm. So his multitude of excuses were true. God changed them, and when God comes into our lives and God comes into a situation, it doesn't stay the same. Mm-mm. God always changes. The Holy Scripture, or yeah, the whole Holy Scripture, the Holy Spirit, always our relationship with Jesus always changes us. And if it doesn't change us, then God's not acting or God's acting and we're still putting up those excuses and not letting God make those changes in our lives. You know, we've both had this conversation and you touched on it a little bit in your sermon as well. Like, but neither one of us um, went jumping and skipping and doing cartwheels to seminary. Um, it was very much a sense of... Um, I feel that God is calling me to this. Yes, I'll accept that. No, I don't fully understand it. And then getting there and part of part of that seminary process is 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 a letting go. Is a wilderness. Is a yeah, it's you know, it's a, it's so so the seminary experience for those of you who've not gone through such a thing. The seminary experience is very much the Moses story from the standpoint of you have this strong call. You feel the presence of God. You know this is what you're supposed to do. When I sat down and I in one of the classes, um, actually it was a couple of the classes, when I went to visit, I had this overwhelming sense of this is where I belong. And I've never felt like I belonged anywhere. There was never some place that I, I just was like, this is where I'm supposed to be. Christine and I had the exact same feeling yeah. when we were kids. It first. was, this is where I'm supposed to be. It fits. So, sold my house, 
moved up into, I always call it the fun little ghetto apartments, um, got into seminary. And I think I mentioned this in our Noah one. My very first class of my very first day was an instructor who came in and just said, don't ever go looking for Noah's Ark. You'll never find it because it never happened. And I swear at that moment, I was sitting there going, what have I done? Yep. What have I done? Yep. And just like, this is not what I came here to learn. <laughs> this is, you know, this was not, you know, the, the, what I was, was brought here to, to learn and to understand. And there were lots of tears. There were lots of me looking around my little, little, um, tiny apartment going, you gave up a, a good job and a um, a nice house and whatever to come do this, yep. really. And there were a lot of things that were very, very challenging throughout the seminary process, as they used to say, um, that seminary is about tearing your faith down in order to build it back up. The building back up part was not as apparent always that it was happening, and I, I can now say, you know, what am I now? 13 years beyond my um, uh, graduation. I can, <laughs> something like that. I, I can honestly say that my faith has deepened and, and grown and changed and changed me in some major, major ways um, because of the things I learned and the things that I wrestled with and the things that I have throughout this, this time period had to continue to wrestle with, but it has also deepened that faith on a completely different level that I didn't know even was possible for, for, for faith. Um, but there were those moments of, I really went, I, I said, I, sometimes I felt like the kid who's, um, who was dropped off at soccer practice and then mom forgot to come get you when practice was over because I never felt again that same presence of God, just this is what you're supposed to do, blah, blah, blah kind of thing. Mother Teresa wrote something similar in her letters that got published after she died. And people saw that as, a oh, look, so even, even Mother Teresa doubted her faith. Mother Teresa, when she entered the, the, the nunnery, um, she had a very strong feeling of, of the presence of God. As she continued in her ministry, that waned, and she didn't feel it the way she used to. And, and you begin to question it then. Yep. At that point, you be, was it real? Was it, what happened to that? Why is that not here? That, to me, is that wilderness. God is still with you, but things are not right. quite... It's, it, yeah, it isn't as, as direct. It isn't as, as, as intense. Um, and you're kind of wondering what next, where, where are you leading me? Where am I going? Because, um, I'm not real sure. And we've just kind of been hanging out here for a while and, and I'm not real sure where this is headed. Uh, so I kind of identify a little bit with the Israelites too. And that restlessness that they yeah. get, um, which we'll talk more about next week, um, I, I kind of, so I kind of equate it to like a coffee filter. So I don't drink coffee. I know that's un-Lutheran. I don't drink coffee, but I know how the process works, right? Mm -hmm. Like you put the coffee grounds in a filter and then you pour hot water through them. And then what comes out the bottom is coffee, but it's different, right? So for me, I really had to take 
um, different views that I had and pour them through that, that faith lens, that faith filter, and then look at what came out the other side. So I'll use a perfect example. Um, I was pro-death penalty. Yeah. When I put that through my faith filter, I went, wait a minute, how can I support the death penalty? Like, like that, that, doesn't, that doesn't fit. That doesn't mean that I think murders and people who are on death row should walk free. And shouldn't be punished, right? Right. I, I you know, I, I don't believe in that, but I, I, I struggled with that, 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 that belief that I had because when I put it through my faith filter. It, well, when you look at the it, fact it didn't that, fit. yeah, especially when you know God had every right and and and, and by our basically by by our standards, because I also was pro death penalty for a very long time. Um, when you look at the fact that God should have killed Cain, according to our understanding of justice, et cetera, and didn't, and in fact protected him from anybody else doing anything to him, that begins to raise a few questions. Um, and, And I think one of the things, too, is we get caught up in things where the Bible says something like an eye for an eye, and we think that that is a... Um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Pro, um, not proactive, pro- prescriptive. That's what, a prescriptive, this is what you're supposed to do in this situation, as opposed to this is a way to mitigate what was going on. Right. Because a lot of times the punishment was so far out of whack in comparison to the crime um, you know, that it was, okay, the punishment needs to at least come down and fit what the crime is. Right. Um, so you lose an eye, you don't, you know, if you take an eye, you don't lose two eyes, you only lose one eye. And so it's, it, you know, it, that, that's kind of the, the understanding. And then of course, Jesus comes along and says, I tell you, turn the other cheek. The yeah. point being vengeance, um, even, even trying to just get equal type of, of, this for that. Um, Jesus is like, that maybe is not the best way for, yeah. for, for humanity to continue to, to function. So, all right. Well, manna in the wilderness is next week. Um, so we will talk to you then about that. Bye everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs>